Welcome to episode 679 of The Sleeper and the Bust. I am Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? Hey, doing well, man. Weather's outstanding. Uh, Rays beat the Red Sox, got off that schneid, and I think that's about it oh. right now. Well, that's uh, an uneventful time because the, the Rays are winning games. The Giants are not winning games. Uh, we have a Yeah, could you do something about that? I mean, Jesus, the Yankees are rolling out a triple-A lineup, and you guys are just playing dead. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just thinking the other day, I was like, I don't know how the Yankees are – uh, actually, you know, above 500 at this point, considering all the losses they've had. But then I went and looked at their schedules like, oh, they've played the Giants and the Angels. And, you know, so they're getting to kind of beat up on some crappy teams. Yeah, in all on. serious, though, I mean, this is I the Yankees were my pick to win the American League before the season because they were deep uh, and they uh, they have a lot of talent. And if there's a time to have a bunch of guys hurt, it would be now when their schedule I, you know, as the, as the Rays fan, they they had a very similar schedule. Rays and Yankees haven't even played each other yet. I don't think they play one another for a few more weeks, so that may that'll get fun. But yeah, they have not faced one another yet this year. Yeah, th- things always start off well if you're playing my Giants. So, uh, but joining us today is a special guest, uh, Michael Alexander from Friends of Fantasy Benefits and Fantasy Alarm and Razball. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here. Of course. Uh, you are doing the podcast rounds. I think this is what the third podcast you and I have done together in the last like ten days. I believe uh, so. <laughs> uh, you've been on a bunch of other podcasts talking about a really cool thing that you've done. So why don't you go ahead and kind of uh, give your work some plugs because uh, it's a pretty fantastic new metric. Yeah, so I'm doing the the fantasy equivalent of a book tour, I suppose. Uh, getting my, my fly index out there. Uh, Brian Cray and I worked on this this offseason. Uh, it, it, uh, it started out, I had an idea based on um, air yards. If you're familiar with air yards, they are the, the distance a ball travels to a wide receiver. Uh, Josh Hermsmeyer at airyards.com uh, does a great job with that. And it's a really simplistic and clean way of looking at uh, NFL production. You, you, know, you, you, you don't get the, the noise of things like yards after catch. So I, I wanted to apply that logic. I said, this, I really like this way of thinking. And fly ball distance just made sense to me. So I linked up with Brian and, and you know, brought it to him and uh, said, you know, well, what can you make of this? He came back to me and, and said, I, I think you might actually have something here. Uh, our very first go, he compared 2018 first half fly ball distance to 2018 um, second half home run rate. And, you know, there were some interesting people popping on it. You, you get a nice diagonal. Uh, but way up at the top right was Christian Yelich just popping, uh, you know, out of his mind, not even near anybody else. So when we saw that, we both kind of knew, okay, there's something here. We should, we should go down this rabbit hole. Um, so we worked on it a little, a little more, workshops and things. And Brian came up with that the 85th percentile batted ball distance uh, for a hitter has a strong correlation year to year um, to home run rate. You know, and to say that kind of more simply. If you hit 100 balls, it's the 85th ball that you hit. What it does is it, it kind of knocks off the, the home runs at the top, you know, the top 5 to 7%. Uh, gets rid of the things at the bottom, like like bloopers. And, and you know, is is going to drive people who have a high fly index. What's driving it is they're hitting the ball hard, they're hitting it in the air, and it's traveling a, a, a good distance, you know, far and frequently. So that's what we're looking for in today's day and age of a juiced ball. We want people that, that can hit the ball in the air. 
you know, with power. We want them to do it on a repeated basis. You, you don't want somebody, you know, who's just getting them over the fence here and there. Uh, so the actionable things with fly index, it can tell us who's got a, a you know a more true performance. If you have a strong fly index, you, you know you're you're getting the home runs and you've got a, another peripheral stat to support it. It can tell us you know who's a buy low, somebody that is you know maybe getting unlucky with with things like you know they're hitting the ball at defenders, they're playing in a in a particularly spacious park, um, you know things like that, and they're they're hitting the ball with distance. It's just the home runs just aren't coming yet. And then the last thing, you know, that, that's really actionable is people who are performing above their heads. They don't have the peripherals like exit velocity, um, but they're getting home runs. Uh, you know, a guy like Derek Dietrich was, uh, was somebody I pointed out recently. Uh, lots of home runs, but not great peripherals. So uh, if you want to dive into that, I'm happy to, uh, to answer any questions. Well, one, where can people find this? Because it's really good information. Uh, is it available on any uh, particular site? So Brian is, is going to work on publishing it every Sunday night. Uh, it, it's, it's something he has to do manually to, to pull the bat at ball events. So it's not going to be updated, you know, on, on a automatic basis, but he's going to put it out every Sunday that he can on, on a, you know, try to be consistent with it. Get a look at the leaderboard. If that's, if that's what you want, um, I'll be tweeting that out every Sunday. If you want to know a little bit more about it, uh, I wrote a nice piece on Fantasy Alarm uh, to detail what it is. How we, That's pinned on my Twitter page uh, if you want to check it out there. And then uh, I'll feature it in my Fantasy Alarm Advanced Analytics uh, column probably about once a month just to check in and, and see what's going on with it. All right. Uh, well, I think everybody should go check that out. Is there any player that may be under the radar right now that you're noticing either high up on the leaderboard or maybe even a guy who is, uh, you know, other than Dietrich is low on the leaderboard, but is, is showing a little bit more power than he probably should. Uh, a couple other names that were low were uh, Michael Franco and um, as Drupal Cabrera, they had really high home run percentages over 9%, but their, their fly indexes were uh, either like at or below 300. Uh, as far as the fly index numbers go, uh, a number above 350 is a really strong peripheral number. Uh, that that means these guys are hitting the ball hard. Uh, down to 330 is kind of the average, and then you know if you get to 300 or below that, you're you're just not hitting the ball in the air very often. Um, and one caveat, you know, we're we're dealing with a, a very small sample. This is early in the season, uh, but it's still useful to look at and say, you know, you've got a guy at the top like uh, Dan Vogelbach. Um, you know, he's crushing the ball. So obviously all of his peripherals look great. His exit velocity is great. His launch angle is amazing. And he's, he's you know, like top five in, in fly index. So um, it tells us he is performing in, in a strong way. Um, you know, some, some buy lows that I put out there last week were guys like Hunter Dozier, uh, who just had a nice day yesterday coming back um, after missing some time with an injury. Um and then some other interesting names, Christian Yelich uh, and Jose Altuve are guys that are uh, way up on the fly index, even though their their launch angle is, is fairly conservative as far as guys trying to lift the ball. Um, so this is a peripheral that actually says these guys that don't have the launch angle but are hitting the ball well, uh, you know, because that's kind of a debate that that has raged over over hitters like that who, you know, aren't necessarily a pull hitter. They don't hit these mammoth home runs uh, all the time. But they're two guys that are consistently performing, you know, when they're healthy. Um, so just a couple interesting names there we've come across so far. Well, that's awesome. Definitely uh, check out 
uh, his article over on FantasyAlarm.com. Where can people reach you on social media so that way they can get this when you tweet it out? Yeah, so I'm at Roto underscore Wan, W-A-N, just like uh, the the Jedi (laughs) Obi-Wan. And then we might as well uh, mention Jason and Mai's uh, Twitter accounts. Uh, You can reach Jason on Twitter at Jason Collette. Uh, and you can reach me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. All right, uh, let's kind of move on and, and talk about some notable transaction. One of these guys that might be on the high up on this fly index at some point in the season is Carter Keyboom, uh, who was brought up to the majors. I think right after Paul and I finished recording our last episode, because I don't believe we talked about him. Uh, so. He's going to be a big guy in fab this weekend. Uh, I think a lot of people didn't expect him to come up. He is probably not owned in a lot of formats. So, Jason, what are your thoughts on Carter Keyboom uh, coming to the majors, and how much would you be willing to bid on him in, like, a 15-team mixed league? So this same question was asked to me last night uh, with the Rotowire show on MLB Radio, and I said I was the same guy who dropped – 30% 30% of my free agent budget on Michael Chavis and AL only. And I would take a similar approach with uh, Kai Boom for uh, if I was in the NL only league. So in a 15 team mixed league, uh, yeah, 15% of my budget, perhaps. I think one of the things to folks uh, to remember, yeah, if you look at his stats and you look at the jump from double A AA to triple A, and you see like, oh my God, look at these numbers. Yeah, they're great. But don't forget, this is also the first year that triple a is using the same baseball as the major leagues it's never been that way and that's happening this year and if uh, you know for shits and giggles go look at the pacific coast league team eras <laughs> just go look i think tacoma is like 840 right now uh, oh, that's what there it is just horrendous it's like the, i've been tweeting this morning about how bad the baltimore orioles pitching staff is the fact that they've already allowed 69 home runs nice, nice. Right. So 60. And if you were to add up the home runs of the three bottom teams in the league, the lowest totals, that also equals 69 home runs. So the Orioles have allowed as many home runs as the three best home run suppressing teams in the majors, which I believe is Cleveland, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. So it's nuts. But that's what the Pacific Coast League. So I just want when you're looking, when people are stat scouting AAA this year, please remember that the baseball is the Major League Baseball, the same one that we clearly know something's up with this year. I mean, it's 1.33 home runs per nine, um, which would shatter the record that was back in 2017, which was 1.25. So that's where we're at. Uh, you know, Baltimore pitching staff has already had six games where they've allowed at least five home runs. The all-time record is nine in one season. They've done it six times, and we're only 28 games into the season. Um, it could be truly historically bad. Sorry, Alex Fast. Uh, but it is going to be horrendously bad in Baltimore. And I'm going to be there this time next week. So heads up, can't record next Sunday, because uh, I am the Rays are playing Baltimore. I have to travel for work. Um, just so happens the baseball schedule is very kind to me. And uh, I get to uh, go to a game. So it is... Uh, that said, with but I would again, I'd go about fifteen percent of my budget uh, here. Obviously, special hitting talent, uh, but again, I just have to point that out with the AAA numbers. They look ungodly this year, but understand, baseball is a little different. Mike, how much are you willing to go on Carter Keyboom, and what are your thoughts on him rest of the season? I think Jason is is in a pretty good ballpark there. Uh, I'm maybe a little bit lower than that. I tend to be more conservative. 
my only concern on Kaboom would be, you know, Trey Turner is not that far away, it sounds like. And, you know, he's not going to be seeing the bench at all once he's back. And they may rotate guys in there with, with Kaboom. Uh, you know, obviously, if, if he plays to his fullest potential, nobody's going to gonna play over him. But being a young guy, that just worries me a little bit. Um, but, yeah, probably somewhere between 10 and 15% is a, is a good number. Yeah, we're getting some interesting kind of contradictions on uh, <laughs> on Trey Turner. So the the general manager, Mike Rizzo, was asked about Trey Turner uh, on the radio uh, a few days ago on the, on the twenty fourth, uh, and they and he said that he see uh, he he was thinking that he was going to be back within days, not weeks, uh, and then Trey Turner was asked the next day where he was at and he said well he's not going to be back for a while <laughs> so I, <laughs> yeah i mean if he hasn't you know started a rehab assignment i don't know that you can say days yet yeah i <laughs> i don't know that the... he's i don't believe he started swinging a bat yet i know he's doing out or infield work uh but if he's not swinging a bat that is uh probably a bad sign that he's probably yeah. not particularly close uh, like, like technically 28 days is days yes this is true uh, there's a nice little video uh, on uh, the Nationals page of him uh, uh, playing catch one-handed. So I don't I don't know what that 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 uh, means. Uh, I'm I think if Keyboom hits, they're gonna keep him in the lineup. The only thing that I worry about with Keyboom, because uh, I do think he will hit, is if his defense is so atrocious that it actually costs them runs or wins. Uh, I think one of the things we were talking about in the Friends of Fantasy Benefits staff chat yesterday about prospects and whether defense matters or not, and when you're looking at a prospect list that isn't uh, uh, fantasy-related, how much do you take into the fact that they add in defense? And I kind of commented, for the most part, defense matters when defense is really, really bad or really, really good in fantasy. Because it'll either help you stay on the field when you're struggling or taking you off the field, even if you're hitting. So my, my only fear is that uh, Keyboom will struggle defensively, especially playing shortstop with, with Turner out, and that could hurt him and get him sent down. Uh, I think once he's up, Dozier looks lost. I know, I know some of the underlying metrics of Dozier are better than he's playing, uh, but he, he doesn't look great, and I think if Keyboom hits to the level that I think we could expect him to, uh, or that people expect him to, uh, they'll move him over to second. He'll be fine. They'll move Dozier to first and, and supplant Ryan Zimmerman, who hasn't looked good this year. Uh, I think they'll get creative. I think I'm probably going to be dropping anywhere between 10 and 25% of my fab in 15-team mixed leagues, depending on how much offense I need and, and the kind of positions I need to fill. Luckily for me, in Tout NL, I rostered him a few weeks ago and get to just plug him into my lineup, and I got him for, I believe, $1, which is nice. Yeah, it was nice forward thinking. Yeah, just one interesting note on, on the total uh, a bid is that when I did a quick study on the TGFBI winners of 2018, uh, very very few bids over $100 occurred for the you know 
of the 13 winners and, and a handful more of, of the high performing teams. So, you know, that they were guys that were just grinding away, not, not guys that were fixing it with one magic bullet. So just kind of keep that in mind when you're, when you're bidding in, in a more competitive league. I do remember you saying that either on the friends of fantasy benefits pod or, or TGFBI uh, with me, which, which you, you should definitely go listen to if you want to hear a little bit more about Mike's background. Uh, but the one thing that occurred to me after you mentioned it last time uh, that I'll kind of mention this time is while that may be true, I'm guessing because those teams were good enough, they may not have had these big holes to fill. Mm-hmm. And so that may be a little bit more correlation than causation. Yeah, I'd have to take a uh, second pass and see if, if the fab ads were, were fixing any uh, any particular ills. Yeah, so I'd, I'd be interested to see that. Uh, let's uh, let's move on. Talk about another person who is uh, coming to the major leagues, and that is Gio Gonzalez. He was released by the Yankees and signed a deal with the Brewers. It is a major league deal. He is starting tomorrow, uh, I believe, for the Brewers. So, Mike, what are your thoughts on Gio Gonzalez, and how much would you bid on him, if at all? Uh, yeah, probably very light on Gio for me, I mean, unless you're in such a deep format that every pitcher has to be rostered, uh, that has a shot at wins. Um, you know, last time we saw him wasn't great. He's, he's pitching, you know, in a very unfriendly home park again. I know it's better for lefties than righties and Gio is a left-handed pitcher. So that, that kind of negates some of that, but uh, it's Milwaukee's still a good place to hit if you're right-handed. Like it doesn't, <laughs> it's just really easy to hit as a left-handed hitter, uh, and and kind of easy to hit as a right-handed hitter. Um, so yeah, I'm probably pretty conservative on Geo. I, I don't have much interest. Jason, you have any interest in Geo? I got him for like a dollar in one of my leagues last week. I I was speculating because I knew the I knew the date was coming up uh, where the Yankees had to do something. So I I put a dollar and got him, but I think I may have already cut him. <laughs> it just <laughs> I I. I, I you know, I have a long track record of not liking him. Uh, but that said, at a dollar, I figured I'd try something because I was hurting on pitching uh, to see where he landed. But I'm not very excited about him pitching in Milwaukee. I'm not excited either. But if we're talking like 15 team mixed leagues or deeper, go to your waiver wires and <laughs> look at the trash that's out there. So, <laughs> like, in as much as I know that Geo wasn't great last year, he's had a number of years we ha- where he has been pretty darn good. At times, so uh, I, and he wasn't like he wasn't like unplayable last year. A four twenty one ERA in a fifteen team mixed league is no longer like a kiss of death, especially mm-hmm. if it comes with a twenty five to twenty six percent K rate. It just depends on what geo we're getting. And I know the minor league numbers. People are going to go well. Look, he's he struggled when he uh, in the minor leagues with the Yankees. Uh, that was all like one start. It was his first start. He got bombed. And then after that, he was much, he was much better. So, uh, he got, he got hit for, let's see, eight earned runs in, uh, four innings in his first start. And then his next two minor league starts before the Yankees cut him were six innings, no earned runs, 10 strikeouts. Uh, and then, uh, five, uh, innings pitched eight strikeouts, two earned runs. So, I mean, this is a guy that hopefully could at least give you strikeouts. Uh, and with the Brewers' uh, defense and offense behind him, should be able to get you some wins. Now, I think he could definitely be a guy who kills you in the whip category at times. 
So I think you just got to be careful if you've got a poor whip uh, already. That that's maybe not something you want to add to. Right. Uh, but if if you're in need of strikeouts, I think you could do much worse. Let, let me give you. An, I, I've got my NFBC main event free agency pile open. Well, you got fifty million guys hurt on that roster. That's not a, you. Of course, you need to pick well, up Gio no, no, Gonzalez. No. Well, no, actually, this is. I just tweeted this out earlier. This is the first week where I actually don't have to bid on anybody. I'm still That's going amazing. to bid on people, but uh, I got enough guys back this week. Got Odor back. Uh, got Snell back got DeGrom back, uh, that I actually have a full roster of healthy people. Congratulations on accomplishing that goal week six into the season. I'm (laughs) very proud of you. First week of the season where, like, I don't actually have to make moves if I don't (laughs) want to. (laughs) So, uh, it's it's been rough. But on the free agent wire uh, in my league, would you rather have Gio Gonzalez or uh, Chassin? Probably Mm. Chassin. Yeah. Barely, like six out of ten times. Would you rather have uh, Gonzalez or Tyler Molly? Ugh, those are terrible parks. Push. <laughs> uh, would you rather have uh, Jeremy Hellickson or Gio God, Gonzalez? God, no. Gio Gonzalez. And by the way, going back to the Reds real quick. Again, somebody exp- – I think I've, I spent some time this year talking about the magic of Derek Johnson and the impact on pitching staffs. But, you know, Mike mentioned Terrible Park, Cincinnati. Who has the lowest home runs allowed in 2019? Cincinnati. How long is that going to hold up? I don't know. <laughs> but Derek Johnson, NL MVP, and he's only a position coach. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. Lance Lynn or Gio Gonzalez? Oh, man, I love me some Lance Lynn. I'm a sucker for Lance Lynn. Yeah, They're the I same would... type of pitcher, though. Yeah. But these, but are, the, these, are, the, there. these are the top three guys in terms of pitchers who are being started in the NFBC main event that are available in my 15-team main event league. So like, if you, you, you could easily go against all three of those guys and go with Gio just for the upside alone. All right, let's go ahead and move over. We're going to we're talk about some hot and cold players, uh, and I don't know if there's any player in this universe that is hotter right now than Luke Voigt. Uh, he's just been absolutely crushing the ball. I mean, obviously he's benefited a little bit by playing against my Giants, but that being said, he's uh, he's been hot on all the road, season. Though. Uh, yeah, and he's been one of the hot the, the one of the home runs he hit against the Giants was just insane. Uh, uh, but he's been one of the hottest players for quite a while. So, Jason, what are your thoughts on Luke Voigt? So I tweet. I'm gonna take a big loss on this one because I was mm-hmm. fading him this year. But I tweeted this out this morning. Here, since Luke Voigt became a Yankee, these are the players that have a better weighted on base average than him: Christian Yelich, Mike Trout, Cody Bellinger. End of list. Yeah, that's, that's, that's freaking impressive. amazing. Yeah, uh, that's freaking amazing. I mean, better than Rendon and Fam and Betts and JD Martinez, Acuna. These are all the guys after him. Three guys have a better one uh, than him. He's twenty points behind Bellinger, but it's like, wow! I did. I just didn't believe that a guy that has just been languishing. I wouldn't even call him a quad A player. He just really never had the opportunity to do anything in the major leagues because of how stacked the Cardinals outfield was, and you know he was there or at first base. I mean, they had problems finding room for Jose Martinez. How are they going to find room for Luke Voigt? Uh, you know, the fact that the Yankees got him for Chase and Shreve, who's no longer even with the Cardinals, and somebody else, just like they got Aaron Hicks for uh, John Ryan Murphy. 
These are the things that make me sick as a Rays fan, that they get this type of talent for absolutely freaking nothing. Uh, and But it's until he stops hitting, you have to believe in it. And he just keeps hitting. He's got power to all fields, obviously. You only need pop-up power to go out in Yankee Stadium. But you look at the home runs, uh, the home run he hit the other night, the dead center in San Francisco through all that thick fog. And it's like, Jesus, he's a big dude. Yeah, he, that, that home run was no joke. It was uh, really, really impressive. And uh, ki- killed my Giants. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on Voight? Yeah, I think Jason hit it on the head with, with the mentioning the home run to center. He's hit a few of those, and you know he's not a guy. He's a big guy, and, and you, you might think like, oh, like he's pulling all his home runs. No, I mean he's making really clean contact, and, and the ball's going a really far way. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to get on the the Luke Voigt train uh, right around the time that there was whisperings that that he might hit cleanup in a stacked Yankees lineup. So I, I started uh, moving him way up the board, and you know, people whose opinion I, I respect, like Walter McMichael, were, were pretty high on him. So I uh, I made sure to get some Luke Voigt shares. Yeah, I was not really on board. I wasn't off of it. I just didn't. Uh, I, I definitely wasn't targeting him. The one spot I think I got him in terms of my non-best ball leagues uh, was an AL-only league in which I actually was price-enforcing because I had hmm. him as like a $16 player in AL-only, and he was at 12 hmm. and I was like, well, 13 And then, you know, everything went quiet. So <laughs> I got a reply. I got a reply from Jonathan Judge, who basically said when they when uh, the BP staff was running Pakota and they were like, all right, what doesn't pass the sniff test? Voight was like one of the guys immediately popped up He's like he looks too high. But what about the recent run it again? He's still really good. Like they, they ran it through more filters and he still came through a clean on the other side. I think we need to remember that Cardinals devil magic actually works even when you leave the Cardinals <laughs> sometimes. So uh, obviously he just never got the playing time. Uh, he's 28, which is in the prime power years. Uh, he's playing in Yankee Stadium. Uh, like you guys mentioned, he is, he is power no matter where he goes. This is, this is not a situation in which when he's on the road, he, he's struggling. Uh, obviously, I think there's some regression coming, especially in terms of the batting average. Uh, he, he, I think he's going to strike out more than uh, the 24% or 25% rate uh, that he is right now. But that being said, especially if you're on base percentage league, I mean, he's walking over 13% of the time. He's got a 380 on base percentage. Uh, he's hitting with power. Uh, I wish I had more shares of uh, Avoid. Uh, a guy that I'm very tempted to go get more shares of is Jared Eikhoff. Ikov was one of those guys that I was kind of on board on for a number of years, but dude could not stay on the field, uh, dealt with home run problems when he was on the field. But he is uh, he's taken the Nick Pavetta spot uh, in the rotation, and so far he looks pretty good. So, Mike, are you jumping on the Jared Ikov bandwagon? A little bit. Uh, it's a weird feeling to jump on that bandwagon given everything we've been through with him but you know you were just mentioning the 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 guys that are out there like you you can't afford to wait on pitchers in in our current landscape you got to take a shot i mean don't go overboard bidding on a guy like him but uh it's it's a it's a nice thing to see um the thing that sticks out to me about him is he's got his fastball usage way down uh to like 41 percent um so I don't know if that's going to continue or what, but it seems like it's working. Both both of his you know off speed pitches are looking really good. The the curveball, the slider. So 
you know, he, he's kind of reinventing himself a little bit, perhaps. And, and that's uh, that's always something that interests me when, when you see a guy, you know, happen with with Corbin. Um, we've seen it a little bit with Ron, Rodon this year. Uh, it, you know, when, when a guy brings up a, an off speed pitch to a really high percentage, um, they, they offer a different look. So that that gets me interested. Jason, are you interested in Nikoff? I'm trying to grasp. I'm trying to come to grips with the fact that in a year where the ball is flying out all over the park, the guy that has historically <laughs> had a high home run rate has not allowed one yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't get past that. Now, I'm all for reinventing yourself and cutting back on your fastball usage if your fastball sucks, and using your breaking ball more, breaking balls more if your breaking ball's good. Uh, let's see how that holds up, uh, with more exposure second time around the league. Sometimes when guys make changes like this, you're, you're looking at it. Cause I mean, he's, he's gone ground ball heavier, uh, right now. And, and obviously using dialing back on the fastballs is the way to go. But I, I have just have a tough time, uh, ignoring that home run regression is going to come back here and it's going to, and that's when you're going to pick him up. So he's either going to get hurt because you're picking him up or he is, or the home run regression is just going to come and you're going to be like, great. Uh, and so that's, that's where my mindset is right now. I remember liking him uh, previously, but again, I need, I need to sit down and watch him pitch to see exactly what's different. Cause statistically it's pretty easy to see what's he, what he's doing here, but I need to see it in action before I can jump. I, I kind of wonder if the addition of JJ Armuto helps him a little bit too, maybe a better game caller, than the Cameron Rupps of the world that he was uh, <laughs> dealing with uh, previously. Uh, I, I really like what Mike pointed out in terms of that he is really relying on his breaking stuff because he's got two good breaking pitches. Uh, and when he struggled with the home runs, especially he was struggling with command of that curveball, which he seems to have kind of down right now. That doesn't mean he won't lose it at some point. Uh, but the one thing he's really doing right now, uh, aside from getting the ground balls, is he's inducing a ton of weak contact. He only has a 20% hard hit percentage, uh, which really kind of keeps the uh, the numbers we're seeing somewhat in line with the underlying numbers. I mean, he's currently got uh, a 166 FIP, a 346 XFIP, uh, and like I think a 340 Sierra, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, he's striking guys out. He's got what, like a near thirty percent, oh, over thirty yeah. percent uh, strikeout rate right now. Uh, I obviously, I think in Philadelphia, you always worry about home runs, and you've got to worry about a guy who what has like a career uh, home run rate of like one two one point two. So, uh, I, I'm I'm a little worried that the obviously the bottom can fall out, but I think you got to ride the hot streak and hope it continues because this is a guy that. A lot of people, including myself, were really high on when he was about three years younger, uh, and it just never came to fruition. And maybe right. he just now he's healthy, he's got his mechanics under control, uh, he's got good feel for his pitches right right until the wheels fall off. I mean, it's three outings for him. One of them was at Colorado, and that's where all of his runs came. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he shut down the Marlins over seven innings. He shut down the Mets in a four-inning save. Those are always fun. Um, <laughs> uh, in his first outing, but all of his runs came against uh, – the Rockies in Colorado, uh, you know, but none let's of them see where it runs. goes from here. None of them were home runs. Four of them were walks, seven, he had 11 base runners in six innings, which is about average for Colorado, uh, especially a guy that relies on breaking balls. I mean, hopefully nobody was using him in that kind of outing because you yeah, just kind of had to know that was coming. I'm sure no <laughs> one was using him 
there. But that's stash. yeah. Th- th- at that point, you've got to go. Well, if he can do that in Colorado, and his other two starts have both been at home in Philadelphia, where homers can fly out, uh, maybe it's time to start trusting him a little bit. Yeah. I- I think what'll be interesting to see is as advanced scouting catches up with what he's doing now, uh, our team's going to you know make the the adjustments and and can he continue to to adjust off of that? That's right. That's a really good point. Is yeah, as 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 teams start seeing him twice, we may have a different story. But for right now, if he's available in your league, I think uh, with today's pitching uh, being the way it is, you might want to go out and grab him real quick. All right, uh, Tyler Wade. He's getting to play pretty regularly because the Yankees are literally just throwing out anybody that you know comes through the tunnel, uh, and he is one of the higher people up on the ESPN Player Radar over the last two weeks because of the stolen bases that he's got. Uh, so, Jason, are you buying in on Tyler Wade at all? Man, they are. Uh, yeah, getting back to my earlier point, the Yankees are just rolling right now using AAA lineup. I mean, the thing with Wade, if you had him, you had him because of you were throwing a dart for some speed. I mean, he has got a track record in the minor leagues of running, um, and he's you, perhaps he's the utility infielder just sticks around. He has five stolen bases already, so Aaron Boone is letting him run. He's perfect five for five, uh, which belies the eleven. I'm sorry, the twelve for twenty that he was last year between the the. Triple A of the major leagues, but that's his. That's why you have him. Uh, but it's an empty bat. It's a speed only play, and it would, I'm not. I'm not going to go run out and get him uh, if because you, you probably missed most of the boat here. He may have another seven to ten steals the rest of the way, but it's empty. Then again, it's not as empty as a uh, as Billy Hamilton's speed is this year. <laughs> My God, mm. Mike, are you picking up Tyler Wade? If you if you're really deep, I, I let me pour a little water on Tyler Wade. Uh, his steals came against the Angels and, and Jonathan Lucroy's their their catcher. He's always at the top of. I do a leaderboard when I do the Sagnoff post on Razball. His, his steals ain't got no face. Uh, he's he, he just, people run on him all the time. He, he's always giving up top 10 stolen bases he doesn't throw out uh, that many people so if we see it against other teams i'll get more interested but uh i'm taking that with a grain of salt yeah i'm probably not investing too highly though the one thing i will say is that he has shown the ability to walk uh at pretty close to double digit rates in the minor leagues uh and even outside of his his 36 game sample last year even uh, in 2017, he walked at an 8% rate uh, at the major league level. So he could just get on base. And, and like I said before, right now with the injuries that the Yankees have sustained, he's going to play a fair amount. They're, they're, they may move him around kind of to different positions and or move other guys around to different positions to kind of cover, but like they are just throwing bodies in there. Mike Ford hit a home run the other day. Uh you know, Talkman is, is getting almost full run. Uh, they just don't have guys. And so if you do need some cheap steals, he's not a guy that I'd be hoping to rely upon or want to drop a lot of fab on. But if, if you're hurting stolen base department, like let's say you had uh, Trey Turner and he you were relying on him for 40 to 50 steals. And uh, we like we said before, we don't know exactly if and when he's coming back. Uh, I think you could do worse than Tyler Wade in your lineup. All right, let's uh, let's move on and talk about a guy who has started off really, really hot this season and has gone ice cold, probably at the worst possible time because Addison Russell 
is in the minor leagues playing second base, getting ready to come back from suspension at the beginning of May. But Ben Zobris was leading off uh, for the first couple weeks of the season for the Cubs. Uh, he started off very, very hot and has just been truly atrocious over the last seven to ten days. So, Mike, what are you doing with Ben Zobrist? I mean, if you have another option, you're, you're benching him uh, in a shallow league. I, I'm, I'm fine with cutting him. You know, we've seen this out of Zobrist lately. It, it's up and down. The, the You know, everything's just getting a little bit harder for him as he's getting older. The bat's not, not quite as fast. He, he's not, you know, producing much power these days. Um, so, you know, I'm, 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 I'm over Zobrist at this point. Jason, are you over Zobrist? I am. It just sucks that we're taking one of the genuinely one of the nicest human beings in the face of the earth and in the sport and giving this playing time to a human piece of garbage in Addison Russell. Uh, but you have to move on from from Zobris. He's 38 years old. Uh, he has played a, a ton of baseball uh, and he looks every bit of his 38 years old right now. Uh, and there's no reason for him to be up in the top. If, if he's going to stay in the lineup, it's got to be down at the bottom and in a 15 team mixed league, no use, but I don't even see any value in a, in an NL only format. His only redeeming skill right now is getting on base and he's barely doing that. And the Cubs have started moving him out of the leadoff spot. Uh, he's batted, I think in the five games he's played in the last eight days. Uh, I think he's batted seventh twice. Uh, so it's just a lack of contact. It's the contact. I mean, you look you look at his hard hit rate is no, last couple of years in the low to mid thirties. It's twenty percent right now. He's just not. This is what happens. This what used to happen with guys in their early to mid thirties. Now it's you know late thirties and you're a middle infielder, a taxing position. This is what you get. And you know, oh, he's in kind of the, yeah, the yeah, Dustin Pedroia is about the same boat, but at least Zobris is on the field. Yeah, he's putting fifty what fifty three percent of the balls on the ground, and only twenty five percent fly ball percentage. This this is not probably ending well, and he's probably better suited at this point in his career just being a super utility fill in. Uh, with Addison Russell coming back, and like I said, he's playing second base in the minors, so it appears that he will probably come up and uh, play second base full time uh, once uh, once his suspension is lifted, which I believe is May fourth or fifth. So it's coming up pretty quick. Uh, Kendrick Morales is playing like gar- hot garbage as well, uh, which is unfortunate because I really like Kendrick Morales. And uh, but we have uh, Matt Olson who is working his way back uh, and maybe back in the next week or so from his injury uh, when he broke his hamate bone. So the question is, what are you doing with Kendrick Morales? Is he just a straight cut right now, Jason? No, no. This see. I like Kendris Morrell. The problem is the A's may just DFA him. Uh, you know, the, that, the scary, because you look, you try to find room for him. And when, when Olsen comes back, there's really not a spot for him. Uh, but if you go to StatCast and, and do a sort for expect, expected weighted on base average, minus weighted on base average, Morales on top, as he always is. I mean, he owns that leaderboard. Every year he's there. But we go back to like this time last year, and I believe this was when Matt Carpenter was sitting really high up there, uh, and then he took off. But Morales currently 250 weighted on base average based on his contact, 381. So he's running into a lot of unfortunate uh, results off the contact. And you know, for so for me alone, that gives me hope. I mean, he's hitting 169 right now. 
in my local league, the guy who owns them listens to this podcast, so I don't have any hope of trading for him. Uh, but you know, this is the type of guy that I would be going out to make a deal for, uh, especially if you're in an AL only format, because there has to be better days ahead. The problem is, where is it going to come from? Because if the A's don't deal him, if they're like, hey, we want his experience, we want to keep him around, and he gets marginalized in that capacity, that sucks. Uh, when you, if they do DFA him, you try to look across the market space and say, okay, who could use a, a DH with this kind of talent? Uh, now what's left and, and this, of the salary, I think he's got you know, about seven million left at this point. You know, it, it probably has limited availability to make a deal. Uh, but that said, in a single league format, I'm willing to take the chance on the upside because the context says he should be getting better results than this. Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the only saving grace I kind of have with Kendrys is sometimes the older guys take a little bit for their, their body to get loose and to get warm. You know, we see Edwin Arconacion do this every season, seemingly, uh, you know, his April is just a throwaway. Um, so there's maybe a little bit of hope there on that front, uh, given that he's 35 years old. But yeah, the, the playing time is going to be a problem coming up here. Yeah, I think the playing time will be a problem unless he is DFA'd. It's just the hard part is finding a place that is going to want him uh, at this point in his career. I mean, he's not a guy who should be playing out in the field, even at first base for the most part. No. Uh, and so how many teams really need a DH? Because being a DH obviously cuts out half of the, you know, half of Major League Baseball. Could we see a place like the Astros, uh, who had been rumored in on Nelson Cruz, uh, Tyler White has not seemingly uh, piqued their interest much because he's only playing about half. Wait, uh, you're knocking on the Tony Kemp DH show right now? <laughs> Need a walk-off home run, man. Yeah. Off Adam Simber. But that's really where the, they've been rotating at DH spot. Uh, but Tony Kemp's been using it most of the time. Who shouldn't be a DH, but you know, no. you, who is he, who's he going to supplant <laughs> in that Astros outfield? So but, I mean, uh, he's been DHing and hitting ninth, which is even better. But there's, a whole, there's a whole thing on the uh, Effectively Wild podcast this week about that, too. I mean, but that's the hard part, because, like, where else do you put him? Yep. I mean, obviously, <laughs> like, Toronto's not going to bring him back. Texas doesn't need him. Uh, I don't think Tampa needs him. Seattle doesn't have room for him because they've got Vogelbach blocking up the uh, DH. Could you see him go to the Yankees considering – the lack of bodies they have, that's probably the best solution. Uh, yeah, you could see something like that and just keep rotating dudes in and out. And uh, they DFA him again once everybody's yeah. healthy. This is, the, this is the stage of the career that he's at. Mm -hmm. Or maybe maybe ends up with the White Sox. I, I don't know. But there's not really a ton of places, maybe three teams, that can use him as, as a DH uh, if they do DFA him. So. Uh, let's, uh, let's finish off this, uh, section of players, uh, talking about Jesus Aguilar. Jesus Aguilar was kind of one of the breakout talents of last year, has been truly terrible so far this season, uh, and is now, what, on the, the short side of the platoon, pretty much, right now with, uh, Eric Thames. So, Jason, what are you doing with Aguilar? Is it time to cut bait? Uh, using that same leaderboard... Uh, yeah, I mentioned that Morales has the highest difference between his expected and his actual. Uh, Jesus Aguilar is the has the fifth highest difference. The problem is the difference his expected is two seventy seven, which is garbage. His actual is one eighty six, which is hot garbage. So yeah, it's it's almost we were just at this point last year. Domingo Santana, same story, big year, flopped. 
Aguilar, big year, has flopped. And Eric Thames has taken advantage of it. Now, the problem we've seen with Eric Thames in the past is, uh, uh, to Mike's point earlier, whereas Encarnacion has always just his April has been a throwaway. You own him from May on. Thames after May historically has been terrible. So if you have the depth that you can wait it out, uh, uh, maybe you sell an Aguilar and wait for Thames to cool off and then do something. If you don't have the depth, you have to move on. There's just, it, it's not looking good at all uh, here for him. The quality of his contact, something is, is it's not right. I, for a guy to go from 35 home runs to zero uh, at this point, I mean, everybody's hitting home runs this year. How does this guy not have one? Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's uh, I've got quite a bit of Aguilar and, and the debate I'm currently having is do I cut him and, and you know, risk having to spend a buck 50 to, to re-add him if he heats up again? Uh, and, you know, given given Thames, uh, how quickly his body tends to deteriorate, I think I'm stashing uh, and just, you know, going to cross my fingers that he, he, he wakes up soon. He's only one for 20 against left handed pitching which, you know, that that's his bread and butter. Uh, so hopefully there's some some easier lefties on tap and, and can help wake him up. But uh, it is it has not been pretty. And it, it's hurting me all over the place because I was I was pretty high on him uh, after the breakout season. I was kind of a late convert in draft season and I got a couple shares. I think after I think Paul kind of talked me into grabbing a couple shares and moving Jesus Aguilar. Uh, so I blame him. Uh, mostly. So uh, if, you, if you love the color blue, uh, which obviously as a Giants fan, I do not, uh, go to uh, his baseball savant page because everything is blue. And for those who don't know <laughs> about stat cast metrics and how they label them, uh, blue is a bad thing. It is cold. Uh, his hard hit percentage is in the 18th percentile. His WOBA uh, right now is in the bottom 1% of the league. Hot. Uh, his exit velocity is down, comparatively speaking, to last year in a year where everybody's is up. His barrel percentage is virtually cut in half from 11.4% mm. to 5.8%. There's but, absolutely... but now we, we have seen these really cold streaks from him before. Sure. So if, if the sample's so small, it could change in a hurry if he manages to, to do but a little it, bit of something. It can't change if he's not on the field. And the problem this is... is the the Brewers and this is what happened to Domingo Santana, like Jason mentioned last year, is he started yeah. off cold and they have too many bodies. Not to, so good, Al. Yeah, to they've got too many people who can play because I mean Ryan Braun played uh, some first base I believe last year. Uh, they've they've got Benton Gamble who can play in the outfield and is a good defender. So if they want to move Braun to first, if something happens, Thames. Uh, they- Hernan Perez. Yeah, Hernan I mean, this, Perez. Honestly, this is one of the more disappointing ones. A lot, I mean, for me, along with, I don't have any any shares of Aguilar, <clears throat> but like my comparison, we looked how well he finished last year, and you, you could put Jackie Bradley Jr. in the same boat. He finished well. So, I mean, just last year's numbers were great. From Father's Day on, just you saw the improvement and things took off. And then this year, Jackie Bradley Jr. is terrible. Absolutely terrible. And and same it's, type it's, of thing where him. his stack ass numbers are awful. Yeah, uh, and, and, like he's on my he's on my bench. I spent nineteen dollars on him in AL talent, and he's on my bench. 
and I have no desire to activate him right now. I'm just going to wait this one out and, and see what comes of it. I mean, I'm, I'm starting Mike Talkman in my lineup right now because at least Mike Talkman's hitting. Uh, and he's got some games coming up in Yankee Stadium this week. He's, and his road games are in Arizona, so yay. Uh, so that's where I'm going. But uh, Bradley's just buried on my bench until he shows something. Right now, his at-bats, I've seen him play a lot because Tampa Bay and Boston have been playing one another uh, with some frequency. And those at-bats just don't look good. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to move on and talk about uh, the two start pitchers for the week. So let's uh, we'll start with guys who are over 40 percent owned, uh, but not widely owned. So I think like 40 to 50, 40 to 50 percent owned. Uh, Zach Davies is uh, at home versus Colorado and the Mets. Uh, Chiaros is at uh, Kansas City at Baltimore. Chassin is home versus Colorado and the Mets. So, uh, Jason, who would you take? One um, of the notes on on uh, Chirinos, he may not start that game in Kansas City. There was a there was a pregame note uh, that I was looking at this morning, and they were talking about that he's no longer listed as the starter for Monday. It may be one of the maybe one of the uh, uh, opener things. Uh, like somebody may come in and uh, he may be the bulk guy uh, for that game, so it may not be a start. So just as a heads up there. Uh, we'll have to see where that goes, but I did see a note about that this morning. And uh, but I still want to go. I mean, you look at those matchups at Kansas City at Baltimore. I've got to play the matchups here, even if he's a bulk guy and then a start guy. That's still the best matchups of, of the group there. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Mike. Are you going to sweep this one? I got a little bit of interest in Davies just because of the road Rockies. Uh, they're, they're always a nice thing to target. Um, but yeah, Chirinos is probably the best of the bunch. All right, let's uh, we'll move on to uh, the twenty percent to forty percent owned guys, uh, and this is uh, a much larger. Well, not a much larger list, I guess. Uh, a little bit larger list. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna butcher this name. Uh, Nick Margavicious, uh, uh, Jeff Samarja, Michael Pineda, uh, Tanner Roark, and Jake Odorizzi. Uh, Margavicious is at Atlanta, and then home versus the Dodgers. Samarja so is home versus the Dodgers, then at Cincinnati. Pineda is uh, home versus Houston, then at the Yankees. Roark is at the Mets, and then home versus the Giants. Uh, and then Odorizzi is uh, home versus Houston, and then at the Yankees. So, Mike, who are you taking out of this grouping? Just going off of matchups there, Tanner Rorick is the guy that stands out to me. Uh, you know, pitching at City Field is is you know a nice friendly place, and and then getting the the Giants, the light hitting Giants, how dare you at home? That's a that's a nice uh, two step there. You know, guys like Samarja and Pineda, just you know they, they've got they've got some really rocky uh, spots there in, in some some hitter friendly parks. So um, Rourke for me. Jason, who you got? I would say Roark, and if you don't want to go Roark, I would look at Samarja because it balances out. Yes, the Dodgers, tough offense, but Cincinnati has not been. Uh, they are still, I believe, the worst team batting average in baseball, uh, which sucks because their pitching staff has been so good. But that's the only other guy I would look at. Yeah, as a as an AL owner of both Pineda and Odorizzi, I am trying like hell to bench both of them this week, first <laughs> Houston and at Yankee Stadium. Absolutely, no, thank you. Uh, right now, the problem is uh, I, I don't have – I don't have any healthy pitchers on my bench, so I'm trying to acquire a reliever via Fab tonight so I can bench at least one of these guys. And the one I'm going to bench is Odorizzi. I'll take my shot with Pineda, but I really don't want to use either of those guys this week. 
Yeah, I'm going to sweep it. I would probably lean Roark because of the matchups uh, over Samarja, but I, I've got Samarja, obviously, in a ton of leagues. Uh, I'm going to have no problem rolling him out there. He, the Dodgers is a tough matchup, but at least it's at home. Uh, and Cincinnati, like Jason said, is the offense has not looked good this year. So uh, I'm willing. And he, he looked actually pretty good against Toronto. Uh, in his last start, which is not a uh, a friendly pitching environment. So, uh, all right, last set of guys, and then we will uh, kind of wrap up this episode. We've got guys who are under twenty percent owned. Anibal Sanchez is home versus the Cardinals and at Philadelphia. Jake Junis is home versus Tampa Bay, and then I wrote home versus Kansas yeah, City. Yeah, I was like, how is he pitching against his own team? You, which for you is obviously, yeah, obviously impossible, <laughs> so I will look up. Do, do you have some insider info there? He's getting traded midweek? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm uh, – <laughs> that would be – I don't know that anybody wants to uh, acquire his, I think, 4.76 <laughs> ERA right now. So uh, he's going to be at Detroit, I believe, uh, for, for that second start. Uh, Adam Wainwright at Washington, then at can or at uh, the the Cubs. Uh, Spencer Turnbull is at uh, Philadelphia, then home versus Kansas City. Um, uh, Ivan Nova uh, versus Baltimore, and then versus uh, the Bo- uh, Boston Red Sox at home. Clay Buckholtz, our our dear friend Clay Buckholtz, uh, at the Angels and at Texas. John Means, who's off to an interestingly good start. Uh, at the White Sox and then home versus Tampa Bay. Jason Vargas, uh, home versus Cincinnati, then at Milwaukee. Manny Benuelos, uh, home versus Baltimore and home versus Boston. Uh, and then uh, uh, Chad Bettis is at Milwaukee and home versus the Diamondbacks. So, Jason, who you got? I, the Jake Junis one's tough to overlook only because he flat out dominated Tampa Bay the other day. Uh, now, when you see a guy go against the same team within a week time frame, you have to be a little worried about that. But his slider was downright unhittable uh, in that game. It just a lot of ugly swings. And then you look at the matchup against Detroit, and that's that's ra- rather attractive. Uh, if that worries you, I'd also look at John Means. I mean, the changeup has been really fun to watch uh, with him. And the matchup against the White Sox uh, and Tampa Bay, I'm going to go with either one of those guys, and I like them equally. My only my only fear about Means is doesn't Tampa Bay just crush left-handed pitching? Depends. Depends. All right. I, I, but I'm, the changeup, I mean, Means has made a lot of guys look really uncomfortable at the plate. But you look at the lineup, I mean, yes, it's price and sale, but the lineup they've been rolling out against lefties right now has not been good. I mean, Brandon Lau is sat. He sat versus Price. He's sitting versus Sale today. Um, Austin Meadows on the DL, obviously. But the bottom half of that lineup is Christian Arroyo and uh, Guillermo Heredia. Uh, yeah, the bottom end uh, – Willie Adamas, who looks awful at the plate. The, the lineup is really that top four guys, and after that, it's yeah, uh, against lefties. And so that's why that's why I like that. That said, I mean it, it is a pitcher in Baltimore, um, but we're looking we're looking down here at the bottom of the barrel. Junis would be my preference, but Means is honestly not far behind him just for the matchups this week. Mike, who are you going with? I've got some interest in Spencer Turnbull. Uh, the the Phillies they do have a ferocious offense, but it can go quiet at times. You know that that might just be me using Zach Wheeler and DFS, uh, giving me a little bit of extra confidence there. But you know they're 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 kind of all or nothing right now. The the Phillies. Uh, so 
I'm not as scared of them as, as most people would be. And then getting Casey. Um, Turnbull, we've seen him strike out a good number of people. Both of those lineups have some strikeouts in them. So uh, th- that's an interesting one for me. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think I'd probably be trying to avoid starting any of these guys. Uh, Means is interesting, like Jason said, uh, especially with the White Sox going to be down Eloy, who was put on the uh, the 10-day DL with an ankle injury. Uh, and at some point, Tim Anderson and, and Moncada are going are to slow down. Uh, but the rest of that lineup isn't very good. Uh, Clay Buckholtz is always uh, kind of a guilty pleasure for me. Uh, and he's gone, what, uh, six innings, four and two-thirds, and then five innings. Uh, it hasn't been great, and the strikeouts haven't popped back up yet. But uh, against, against the Angels in, uh, in Texas, I'm not super worried about that Angels uh, lineup. Uh, and if he could survive Texas, I think it, he might be worth a stream in, in a really, really deep league. All right, and that is going to wrap us up for this episode. Uh, Mike, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Had a good time. Uh, hey, can we you... answer the burning question uh, only r- real quick before we go uh, with Emilio Pagan picking up three saves this week? Oh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's been and... like my most popular. Oh, my God. Honestly, the first two, the, the first two saves this week uh, with Alvarado pitching as heavily as he did in, in the Boston series the previous mm-hmm. weekend, it made sense to give him some rest. But then, you know, he came in and got a save yesterday because, again, they went to they went to Castillo and Alvarado earlier and that wasn't going to get him through the ninth inning. So they brought Pagan in again, even though it was going to be two lefties down there uh, in that. So it, it is honestly a, a tiny bit of smoke there, but at the end of the day, I still think that Alvarado still gets 75% of the saves uh, for Tampa Bay this year, but they, they need something. I mean, Castillo has been hit or miss with his command this year, which has not been yeah. a surprise. Uh, but the, the the problem has been getting the ball to the eighth and ninth. Chaz Rowe just doesn't have it this year. Uh, and they've run out of that inconsistency. So he hasn't even, most of the time, can't even finish an inning. He's out there, usually one or two guys, and then he's gone. They've been using Adam Kolarik, uh, or Kolarik, uh for righties and lefties, but they, they need another dude to step up. So it's nice that Pagan's been doing this, but I wouldn't get too excited about it. Uh, he could have some save opportunities. So if you're if you're just dying for saves and need something, it's worth throwing. So so he he could see a few more. But uh, I wouldn't go, this. I don't think this is a changing of the guard at all. I think it's more trouble for Castillo. Who you know, I've got a lot of shares of him as a guy who can sneaky a couple of saves. And like you said, his command has been trouble, and his his outing against the Red Sox sticks in my mind where. He had to throw two front door sliders to get strikes two and three, uh, you know, with a full count and the bases loaded to, to you know, not lose the game. Um, right. So th- there's been issues for him. Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to wrap us up. Uh, Mike, before we go, remind everybody where you're on social media and then plug all your work. Yeah, you can get me at Roto underscore Juan. Uh, you can catch my work at Fantasy Alarm, uh, a weekly advanced analytics column. You can catch me at Razzball. You can catch me at Friends with Fantasy Benefits. We'll have some NFL coverage coming up here, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, I'm, I'm giving away a free Rotoware t-shirt if you want to check that out on my uh, my Twitter page if you want to play my Walker Body Count game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what that means. But it, it, it's, it's a five by five. Cool. You're picking five characters, and uh, I'm going to try to keep track of how many walkers everyone destroys tonight. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm I'm glad that that is uh, high up on the priority list. <laughs> so, but Rotoware has amazing T-shirts, especially 
of the Justin Mason collection. So, you, <laughs> which there are sixty nine versions. Yeah, so you definitely want to uh, play in that because is, is you, that what Kenny's doing? He's trying to get to sixty nine uh, iterations. I think he is, and he's going to stop. <laughs> that would be amazing. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to hate. I hope that. we just didn't give that away. Yeah, I, I mean, he doesn't really tell me what he's doing necessarily with these things. He just pops up. I don't know if you saw the newest one uh, that uh, was inspired by my wife uh, saying uh, no, Justin. And that's literally like what it says on the T-shirt is like, not today, Justin. <laughs> so, uh, but I do. It's nice to see Danielle get a little love there from, from Rotoware. Yeah, right. I think I've got 26 T-shirts now. That's all I wore this weekend, Spartanburg. <laughs> It's a great conversation, especially the one with Woolbud X X Fit. But I went to the bar and I ordered a shirt, and she's like, "What does your shirt mean?" And I explained to her, and she's like, "Oh, I was like, yeah, it's a great conversation starter and ender most of the time, so it works out well." Just give me my drink. <laughs> it cuts both ways. Yeah, I currently have twenty six t shirts. Uh, there, there currently uh, twenty six Justin Mason t shirts, a f- woman's bathing suit, and a pillow. <laughs> Oh, God, please, I do not want a picture of you in a woman's bathing suit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about it, You got to do it. You got to do it with the sunglasses and the mustache and like it's a singlet and be nice. <laughs> I think you guys just got a whole lot of unsubscribes. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, that's going to do it for uh, uh, this episode of The Sleeper and the Bust. Uh, we will be back, I guess, in probably two or three weeks because – Next week, you're gone, Jason, and then we have Mother's Day, uh, and I know I won't be available so my wife doesn't kill me. Uh, got some flexible, if you've got some flexible scheduling, I could do it either time. Uh, like if there's a Saturday option, you know, okay. I don't know what your schedule is, but Saturday's open. Sunday's the next two obviously suck, but, um, you know. Okay, maybe we'll try we'll do, to record we'll try on the Saturday good. before, and then maybe I'll try to get a co-host next week because I, right. know, I know I'm gone next Saturday. Uh, okay. For Cinco de Mayo, uh, I'm going. My my wife's family's doing something. So, uh, but we will try to get together maybe uh, the day before Mother's Day, so that way we're not missing. And I'll try to maybe get a co-host uh, for uh, or next Sunday. So. Oh hey, uh, Ryan Zimmerman to the 10 day DL with plantar fasciitis. Well, there you go. And, there is yeah. uh, uh, and, Carter and Eaton sitting. And they say Rendon may need the IL as well. So uh, oh, Boom, you might want to notch up that bit a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, sounds like he's going to get plenty of run now. All right, that, that'll do Change it. a bunch of lineups. 